0: foundation. Exodus 19 and verse 17. Exodus 19 and verse 17 says, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp. I want you to notice why. He brought the people forth out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. It's Mount Sinai, verse 18, and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. You got this picture. Sometimes we read over this. I, I want you to see this. this. This really happened. This is a historical account of what took place. Moses, by the instruction of the Lord, took the children of Israel outside of the camp. And his purpose was so that they could meet with the Lord. And they're standing at the nether part of the mount. And as they're there, the Lord descended on the mount in a fire. Is that what it says? And the smoke thereof from the fire ascended, as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. Do you think God had their attention that day? I think it's safe to say they were. Want we'll to talk about the fear of the Lord? Verse nineteen. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. Now... We could keep reading. We're not going to keep reading in this chapter for sake of time, but just to give you understanding. You you now have the setting of where we are. And the Lord has come in a fire. I don't think it was like a little flicker on a candle. This was a great fire. The the mountain was already in smoke. And then the Lord comes in fire. And now the fire smoke is coming up from that mountain that the Lord comes down to like a furnace and the whole mountain. I I almost picture like a volcano exploding. I don't think Mount Sinai is a volcano. So he has the attention of the people and Moses speaks to God. And when he does, God speaks to Moses and invites him to come up into this mountain that is on fire and with smoke, and it's quaking greatly. It's a pretty sovereign moment, wouldn't you say? And Moses goes up into the mountain, and you can read what takes place there in chapter 20. God begins to give Moses what we call the Ten Commandments, or the law of God is given him. This is the setting. Would you pray with me right now before we go any further? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word today that is already anointed. I pray by your sovereign spirit that is in this room that the word of God would go forth and that it would mix with faith in our hearts. I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation here today, the quickening word of God, reaching in, discerning thoughts and intents of our heart and speaking to our lives according to your design. Let this, your holy word, come alive to us today. I pray, take this lump of clay and let your anointing come. Let no distraction have room, Father. Help me to say exactly what you want to say and nothing more or less. And let your will be accomplished throughout in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. amen. So we see here the giving of the law. Wasn't just a, it wasn't just a quiet little oh, somber. I mean, there was a demonstration of the power of God when he delivered the law. You would think, man, I will never forget that, right? Isn't that what you would? I mean, if you would had witnessed that, would you be like, "I you ever saw something"? You are like, "I'll never forget this." <laughs> well, the Lord wanted to make sure they never forgot. So, if you go fast forward to the Book of Exodus chapter, or the chapter thirty-four there in the Book of Exodus, I want you to see something here. Exodus thirty-four and verse twenty-two. We won't read all of chapter 34, because, but we'll, you see chapter 34 in Exodus shows the renewing of the tables of the commandments that the Lord had written because, of course, the first time they were worshiping a golden calf and Moses got angry and broke. So Exodus 34 is the renewing of all of that. But you see in verse 22, the commandment of the Lord to the people of Israel and you shall observe the feast of weeks. Everybody say the feast of, feast of weeks. You shall observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Now, I know you didn't think we were going to talk about feasts today, but here we are. we talk about holidays today. And so we see this celebration of the Feast of Weeks. If you study the word, I, I, you'll have to go back and dig and study for sake of time. I'm not walking you through all of it this morning or walking us through all of it. But the Feast of Weeks, if you study Jewish history, it was to commemorate, memorialize the giving of the law. If you talk to the Jews, they're like, this Feast of Weeks is a celebration the end of the giving of the law, this day that we read about there in Exodus twenty nineteen, where the Lord descended by a fire on the mountain and gave the law of God to the people so that they could be, by His design, governed by the law of God. You with me? And so He wanted them to not forget. And so... He instituted, we know there were different feasts, one that we're probably most familiar with, we know of the Feast of the Passover. We understand why that was instituted. Every feast the Lord gave them was to memorialize something He had done, but it was was always because of something more He was going to do. We know the Feast of the Passover was so that They would keep it in memory so that when Jesus Christ came, they would recognize the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, He who shed His blood to deliver them from bondage. And so they kept the Feast of the Passover so that when Christ came, they should have recognized the blood of the Lamb when Christ was crucified at Passover. Well, here we have the Feast of Weeks. It is a memorial to them of the giving of God's law so that they would... Understand and always remember, God gave us a law to live by, and in that He made a covenant with them. If you'll keep my law, I'll bless you. I'm I'm shortening everything he said, but that was the crux of the covenant. If you'll keep my law that I gave you, I'll bless you. I'll bless your lands, I'll bless your home, I'll bless your family. And there they commemorate this with the Feast of Weeks. It wasn't coincidental. You'll notice in this verse here. You observe the Feast of Weeks with the first fruits of your wheat harvest. So this would happen here. And then the feast of in-gathering at the year's end. We get a little more of that. Leviticus chapter 23. Remember, I said a small foundation. This is a little bit of that foundation right here. We need to understand this today. Leviticus 23 and verse 15. Now I I hear some saying, yeah, but we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. You're right. But it tells us something. And so we need to see what the Word of God tells us. Leviticus 23 and verse 15. And you shall count to you from the morrow or from... Tomorrow after, the day after the Sabbath. See that? So you're going to start counting. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Sheaf is from the harvest that we just read about. Okay. From the sheaf of the wave offering, what are you supposed to count? You're supposed to count seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Now, we don't talk in those terms today. But just so we're following, that's seven weeks. Does that make sense to all of us? I'm sort of plodding along for just a second. I don't want us to miss anything in this. This is all significant. So it's seven Sabbaths. You're supposed to count seven Sabbaths. So that's seven weeks. Any mathematicians in the room? How many days is that? 49, we all in agreement? That's 49 days, 7 weeks, 40. Okay, good. We're on the same page. There's a lot of math. Look at that. Okay. We'll do fractions later. No, just kidding. Everybody's All right. Now watch verse 16. Even unto the morrow or the day after the seventh Sabbath shall you number what? Fifty days. So that makes sense, right? Because you did good math. Seven Sabbaths is 49 days. And then the day after the seven Sabbaths, you'll number one more day. That's 50 days. You got it? Fifty days. This is the Feast of Weeks that's being talked about. And you'll offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. So this is this is why it's called the Feast of Weeks. Right? A week has seven days. This feast had seven weeks. So that's why it's called the Feast of Weeks. Everybody okay so far? I know you're going, what does this have to do with anything? But just hang on. And this Feast of Weeks was to celebrate the giving of the law, memorialize the giving of the law on the mount, fire coming down the Lord in that fire, giving His law to the people of God to govern and lead their lives. And the blessing that would follow if they allowed that law to govern their life. Pretty simple, right? Okay, good. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Don't worry, we're not going to read the whole whole Old Testament. Just one more verse here in in Deuteronomy, then we'll... Well, we might have another place, but Deuteronomy chapter number 16. These are all different accounts of the same feast. I want you to, so you get these parts to understand how we know what we know about the feast of weeks from the word of God. So Deuteronomy 16, starting with verse number 9. Seven weeks. How many days is that? Very good. Seven weeks shall you number to you. Begin to number the seven weeks. When are you supposed to start? From such time as you begin to put the sickle to the corn. So when harvest begins, you start counting. When you start harvesting, you start counting. And you shall keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord your God with a tribute of a free will offering of your hand which you shall give to the Lord your God, according as the Lord thy God hath blessed you. Verse 11. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son. I want you to watch this now. This feast is a feast of rejoicing. You shall rejoice, but what are they memorializing? The law, right? They're memorializing the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. We can't forget that. When the Lord came by fire and gave them the law. His law to govern. And you're going to rejoice before the Lord your God. Not just you, but I want you... This feast is different than the others because of this right here. Well, multiple reasons, but this, watch. You, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, the Levite that is within your gates, and the stranger... And the fatherless and the widow that are among you. I want you to notice something. I'm trying to contain myself. I know you guys aren't as excited about the Feast of weeks that I am, but hang with me. So the beautiful thing about this feast is it's not just for you, Israel. This feast is for you. It's for your children your son, your daughter. It's not just for you and your children, but it's for your manservants and your maidservants. Oh, and it's not just for them. It's for any Levite that's in your gate. And I'm going to go even further, the Lord says. It's not just for them. It's even for strangers that would be among you. And it's for the fatherless and the wood. I'm not excluding anybody from this feast. Some of you are getting ahead of me already. I can feel it. Can I just tell you, that stranger right there in that scripture, you understand who that made room for? It made room for you and me. That are among you. In the place, watch. You're going to rejoice before the Lord. All these people in the place which the Lord your God has chosen to place His name there. I could preach on that the rest of the day, but we're not. That's not the focus today. You're going to rejoice where He chose to place His name. All right. So this is the Feast of Weeks. All these verses that we've read in Exodus, Leviticus, and here in Deuteronomy. It was at the end of the wheat harvest. It memorialized God's law being given to men. And it was also a reminder. And it was a renewal of man's commitment with God in covenant. When they celebrated this feast of weeks, it was a reminder. God made a covenant with us and gave us his law. And I'm committing myself again to be governed by his law and to obey his law. And they were rejoicing in that. You with me? Now, I have a question for you. How did they do in letting his law govern them? Did they do well or not so well? Sort of struggled with that, didn't they? They had this feast to remind them. And I would I would imagine, Brother Lewis, they probably did good for a few weeks after the Feast of Weeks. In that sort of human nature. Like we memorialized this and we were reminded and we renewed our commitment. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna walk after the law again. Here we go. I'm going to walk after the law. It brings blessing on my family. Notice the Lord did this. This feast was at the end of wheat harvest. He didn't do it when they didn't have anything. He did it when they had plenty. He wanted them to remember the covenant when they had plenty. They always cried out to him when they didn't have anything. He wanted them to remember the covenant when they had plenty. You do it right at the end of harvest. That's why they brought a free will tribute offering like we read there in in, uh, Exodus 34, I think, or Leviticus 23. And so, the Lord knew and witnessed and recognized, even with this feast, they're not keeping my law. They're not allowing my law to govern their lives. The covenant. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. And we'll just start with verse 30 just so you get the gist of the shift that takes place in this chapter. The Lord is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to the children of Israel. And listen to what he says. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. That's not a positive verse, is it? Everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eats the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. You have to read the other verses that precede that. We're not not going to dive into that today as far as... But verse 31, watch. Jeremiah is prophesying here. He's declaring to them what's going to happen, but then Jeremiah begins to prophesy in verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke. He's talking about the covenant, the law he gave them at Mount Sinai. They broke that covenant. They break it. Although I was a husband to them, said the Lord. He's making it clear. I didn't break my part of the deal. I made a covenant with them and I kept it. I remained a faithful husband to Israel. But they did not remain faithful to me. They broke the covenant. But Do you see the mercy of God? Notice what we read in verse 30. Everyone will die for his own iniquity. But behold, they broke the covenant. I didn't. So I'm going to make a new covenant with them. Rather than destroy them for breaking the covenant I gave them, I so love them and desire to lead them and bless them that after they've broken the covenant I gave them, I'm going to make a new covenant with them in order to bless them. That's the love God has for His people. Verse 33. Watch. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord. Watch these words. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, Keep in mind who he's talking to. These are people that knew the law written on tablets of stone at Mount Sinai. But he said, I got a new covenant that I'm going to bring. I haven't brought it yet, but Jeremiah's prophesying in the midst of their iniquity. He's saying, I'm going to bring a new covenant. When I bring the new covenant, this time I'm not going to write it on tables of stone. This time when I bring the new covenant, I'm going to put the law inside of you. And when I put the law inside of you, I'm going to actually write it Before, I wrote it with the finger of God on tablets of stone at Mount Sinai. But this time, under my new covenant, I'm going to write it on your heart. And I'll be your God. And you'll be my people. Verse 34, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Why will they know him? because they're not learning who he is through tables of stone. He's written in their hearts. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for watch, for I will forgive their iniquity. Remember where we start in verse 30? Everyone will die for his own iniquity. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin. No more. Flip forward to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number two. Here are pages so Acts two and verse one. just want to leave that verse right there. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Anybody know what Pentecost means? Anybody know how many sides a Pentagon has? How many? Five. So, you see the word penta? Five. Pentecost means 50. You with me? Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. The Feast of Weeks was how long? 49 days plus... The Feast of Weeks is also known as the Feast of Pentecost. Now you know the rest. I feel like Paul Harvey. Now you know the rest of the story. Some of you don't know what that means because you have no idea who Paul Harvey is, but he used to do a thing on the radio, and he'd tell something, and he'd open you, he'd tell you the punchline, so to speak, and he'd say, now you know the rest of the story. Okay. So the Feast of Weeks is also known as the Feast of Pentecost. Okay. It was a celebration of the giving of the law. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So they're celebrating. They've been in the seven weeks, and this is now the day of Pentecost. This is the 50th day. This is what we were reading about earlier where it said seven weeks and then on the morrow after the Sabbath. That would make it a Sunday. That's why we generally have church on a Sunday now, in case you ever wondered how did we end up on Sunday. Okay. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of what? Fire. Fire. Is this ringing a bell? Remember what Pentecost was memorializing and celebrating? It was the day that the Lord came down on Mount Sinai in a fire and He gave to them the law, His covenant that He made with them. But Jeremiah said He was going to give them a new covenant. Do you think it's coincidence that it's the day of Pentecost? And on the day of Pentecost, there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. What's happening here? I'll tell you, let's just keep reading. There were dwelling there, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when they heard this, or it was noised abroad, the multitude came together and they were confounded because they heard every man speak in his own language. And they were amazed and they marveled, saying to one another, Behold, they're not all these which speak Galilean, but how do we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And they were hearing them declare the wonderful works of God, Scripture says. And Peter stands up in verse 14. Peter stands up. By the way, the other 11 were with him. And he lifted up his voice and watch what he said. You men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known to you and hearken to my words. These are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Now watch. I want you to see this right here because I want you to remember the prophecy of Jeremiah. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men who see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Next verse. On servants, handmaidens. Doesn't that sound like something we just read? Where they said, this feast is... For your sons and your daughters. This feast is for your manservants and your maidservants. This feast is for the strangers and the widows. This feast is for the fatherless. Peter's saying, he's pouring it out on servants and on handmaidens in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I'll show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath blood, and fire and vapor of smoke. The day of Pentecost is what we celebrate today if you check your calendar this is pentecost sunday that's why i said i'm not excited about memorial day it's a different holiday except we no longer look at the feast of weeks and the day of pentecost and look back to the giving of the law on mount sinai we look at pentecost and we look at the giving of the holy ghost on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem that we just read about. And so watch. Second Corinthians chapter three. Verse three, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. These are people that have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, like we just read about in Acts chapter two. And he says in verse 3, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle or the letter of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. Hebrews 8 and 6. says, but now, speaking of the Lord Jesus, but now hath He obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also He is the mediator of a better covenant. I'm trusting the Holy Ghost through His Word to connect these things for us based on the scriptures we've walked through. He is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant, that's the law given on Mount Sinai, if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second, or there wouldn't have needed to be the prophecy that he would write a new covenant. Verse 8, For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And here the writer of Hebrews is quoting what we just read from the prophet Jeremiah hundreds of years before. And the writer of Hebrews is drawing them back to that and showing and begins to quote, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them out of the hand or took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenant. And I regarded them not for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them in their heart and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Here we see the reaffirmed word of God. I'm no longer writing on stone. I'm going to put it in their heart. Jeremiah used the word, I'm going to put it in the inward parts. But now I'm going to put it in their minds. I'm going to put it in their hearts. I'm going to ride it there, God said, and they're going to be to me a people when I do this. And they'll not teach every man his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. This is a product of the new covenant. Well, what is the new covenant? The new covenant is him writing on the fleshy tables of our heart and our minds his law, which is supposed to govern our lives amen I didn't say the Old Testament law I said his law his law I understand the Old Testament law was his but he made a new covenant and he wants to write it on our hearts well how does he write it on our hearts He writes it upon our hearts. He puts it in our lives by filling us with the gift of the Holy Ghost. When His Spirit comes and dwells with us, His Spirit is no longer riding on tables of stone. His Spirit is riding on the fleshy tables of our heart. That's why the Holy Ghost was poured out. His Spirit was given. The promise of the Father was given on the day of Pentecost. I promise you, the Jews were there in the temple celebrating the law. And he said, now's the time for me to fulfill my prophecy of giving them a new covenant. They're celebrating the receiving of the law. I'm getting ready to put it on their hearts like I told them I would do. They're remembering fire on a mountain in Sinai. They're going to see fire upon the cloven tongues like as a fire sitting upon them as they were filled with the Holy Ghost. The law was written on their hearts. The law was written on their minds. On the day of Pentecost, he fulfilled the covenant. I'm with you, but I shall be in you. Praise God. Flip over. I'm finishing here to Hebrews chapter 10. This is why. People say. What does it mean to be Pentecostal? This is all it means. This is what it means right here. I believe that I'm aligning with... I'm seeking to align with the new covenant. I want His new covenant written upon my heart. I want His Spirit living in my life. I want Him, by His Spirit, living within me. Amen? Watch Hebrews 10. Just in case you're wondering, is that really the Holy Ghost, His new covenant being written? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. How? Watch verse 20. By a new... And what? The writer of Hebrews is pointing back to the prophecies of Jeremiah here. We just read it in chapter 8. We just read it again in verse number 16 and 17 of chapter 10. And he's gonna let you get into the holiest of holies. How? By a new and living way. This new covenant's gonna give everybody access into the presence of God, the holiest of holies. By a new and living way. The Holy Ghost is the new and living way. The old law was on tables of stone, the new law is written on tables of the heart. What's happening here? Here's the thing. The the Old Testament law on tables of stone, we could never live up to it. And so the only way it would work is if the living Word came and dwelt inside of us. John 1 and 1, I know most of you know it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse 14 of the same chapter, and the word or God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the old, as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What happens here? We see the living word of God in the flesh. And he was our example. Why? He said, I go away, but I'll come to you. I'm with you, but I shall be in you. He example to us what it was to be filled with the living word of God. Is this making sense this morning? When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, like they did in Acts chapter 2, and when you receive the Holy Ghost, you'll speak with other tongues as His Spirit gives the utterance, like they did in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 19. When that happens, it is the living Word of God coming to live within you. It is the law that was written on tables of stone, now being written in the inward parts of your life, on your mind and on your heart. Why? Because just as the law on Sinai was meant to govern their lives so they would be blessed of God, when you and I receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is meant to govern our lives so that we receive the blessing of God upon our lives. And as sure as they had the Ten Commandments and they could choose to or not choose to allow it to govern their lives, just because you and I receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we still have to choose. Do I allow His law written on my heart to govern my daily life or not. Hasn't changed. He just made a new and living way. I don't have to go back and read the 613 laws and rules that they came up with. Or however many there are. 613, 630 something. Over 600 they came up with. I just have to let him write it on my heart. And then I begin to walk according to the leading of His Spirit. That which He's written on my heart, I now live by. I'm no longer governed by my own will. I'm governed by the living Word of God that's within me. But as sure as Israel could choose to ignore the law and walk after their own desires, you and I, though we may be filled with the Holy Ghost, we could still choose to walk after our own way. I have to make a choice. He's written upon my heart when He filled me with His Spirit. I want His law in the inward parts to govern my daily life. Every day. Stand with me this morning, please. Paul wrote in one place, he was contending for the Gentiles because there were some who were trying to get the Gentiles that had been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. There were some that were trying to get them to go back to the Old Testament law and live according to the Old Testament law. And so Paul's like, hold on a minute. He was contending with them. And Paul makes the statement. He said, you as a Jew, you couldn't even live up to the law. He said, but an interesting thing, and I'm paraphrasing. You can go read it in Corinthians. He said, but an interesting, I think it's Corinthians. He said, an interesting thing takes place. The Gentiles, which don't have the law that you had as Jews, but they've been filled with the spirit of God. They're doing things that are in the law they never learned. You can't keep the law, but they never learned it, and they're doing things that they never learned. How are they doing that? Because the law is written in their hearts. They've been filled with the Spirit of God, and because they're being led and governed by the inward law, they're now doing the things that please God, though they didn't have all the learning that the Jews had. I'm telling you, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you receive everything you need of God to live and walk in a way that pleases Him. You receive everything you need to walk in power and authority and victory in every element of life. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you will be utterly transformed and changed. But then you have to choose to walk according to the inward law you got to choose. Not once. Every single day I choose. Am I going to be led by the Spirit of God that dwells in my heart today? Am I going to be led by the Spirit of God that dwells in my heart today? Or am I going to walk according to the will of my flesh? Am I going to walk according to my own desires? No. Please hear me. I feel the Holy Ghost trying to reveal but also plead with some. Hey. When I filled you with the Spirit, I was equipping you to walk victoriously. When I filled you with the Spirit, I was equipping you to walk in power and demonstration. When I filled you with the Spirit, it was so that you could be a living letter known and read by all men. The word that used to be just on tables of stone is now within your heart. You understand those tables of stone ended up underneath the Ark of the Covenant. In the Old Testament tabernacle, they took that law and they put those tables of stone along with Aaron's rod that budded in a bowl of manna. They put it inside the Ark of the Covenant under the mercy seat. It was indicative that mercy, when the glory of God came down, On the day of atonement, the glory of God came down. The blood was on the mercy seat. The glory of God came down. And rather than judge them by the law that was underneath the mercy seat, the glory of God stopped at the blood and at the seat of mercy. And the law was beneath that. So rather than destroy them according to the law... The blood of a lamb and the mercy seat spared them. It was pointing to a new covenant that said one day when I put the law in your heart, the blood of Jesus will be upon your life. That's what baptism in Jesus' name does. Applies the blood to mine in your life. I'll fill you with the Spirit. Now my law is within you. This is why by the Holy Ghost, we read in Hebrews 10, you can come into the holiest of holies what did the holiest of holies represent it represented the ability to come into the very place where the presence and glory of god manifested when you and i are baptized with the gift of the holy ghost at any time that we choose to submit to him and yield to him we can come into the presence and the glory of That's what it means to be Pentecostal. It's not religious denomination. It's relationship with the indwelling spirit, his law written on my heart and governing my everyday life. My every choice, my every interaction, my every choosing. You say, I want to, but I can't. Yes, you can. By the power of His Spirit dwelling in you. Not of your own doing, but by yielding to His Spirit. The writer of Hebrews called the Holy Ghost the Spirit of grace. Grace enables you to do what you cannot do yourself. Grace doesn't give you license to do whatever you want. Grace enables you and I to do what we cannot do ourselves. Would you talk to the Lord with me right there where you are? Come on, if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can this morning. Or maybe you need to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. That can happen right here this morning as you begin to worship Him who is in this room. The Spirit of the Lord is very present right now. In the name of Jesus, come on, what you and I experienced as we worshiped today Was the manifest presence of God. And now you have heard the declared word of God. And if you will open your spirit and extend your spirit to the Lord right now. Here I am Lord. Here I am. If it needs to first be a prayer of repentance. Then pray an honest sincere real prayer of repentance. Before the Lord. Turning from that which is evil to that which is good. Turning from selfish fleshly desires to the king of kings. And let him flood your heart anew with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Jesus, we worship you this morning. Jesus, we magnify you today. I'm opening this altar to you today. If you'd like a place of prayer here, it's open. I'm telling you, the Spirit of the Lord is here. And would fill and flood your heart, whether for the first time or anew. Let God write on the tables of your heart. Let him write on the tables of your heart. It is the promise of Pentecost from the Word of God.